Welcome to the Silicon Trail Podcast. My name is Michael, and with me is my co-host, Johnny. On the Silicon Trail, we discuss recent technology and business trends, and observe where technology is going with an eye for unmet gaps and potential opportunities. To, to win. That's, we're talking about winning here. This podcast yeah. is about winning. Excellent. Just my problem. Just build a whole company around my problem, specifically. Yes. In comparison to what you guys do, Amazon looks like a bastion for worker rights. We're gonna go get that hundred million dollars that SoftBank is probably widening around somewhere. You're telling me you become a unmovable blob of facts. Taken back by the two-year sentence for attempted murder for hire. It's it's a colorful group that they have uh, filmed here. If you smell what the rock is cooking, that is. This episode was recorded on May 17th of 2020. Topic for today, Peloton. All right, news of the week, Johnny. Is it is it over for the big tech giants, Johnny? Is the government coming for them? Well, the government could be coming for one of them. I don't, I don't think the government has the the firepower to go f- against all of them. We, we discussed this last time, right? You said it's very unlikely that these companies are going to be broken up. And lo and yes. behold, what happens this week? The New York Times is uh, reporting that the U.S. has set to plan antitrust charges against Google since, I think they started exploring this since last year. Well, technically, the American government has been in different antitrust investigations against Google since 2013. Um, but they're not as strict as the, the Europeans. No, the Europeans are much, well, so let's talk about this. So yes, my, my firm belief, and I still hold this to be true, is that America is not breaking up any giant. But I looked into this a little bit more. And there's a few things that, that just come to my mind. So I compare this most directly with Microsoft's antitrust case back in the late 90s. You don't think the government's going to win? No. Government didn't win against Microsoft. I mean, I mean, for context, Google controls 90% of all web searches globally. It is okay. a behemoth. But hold on. So but let's, let's agree that it is a behemoth, first off. Sure. But what angle? So can I say that it dominates advertising no and no one can ever say no one's ever broken up a trust for dominating advertising because like i said last week before google facebook amazon it was cbs nbc and fox uh, or abc i guess sorry cbs nbc and abc and those dominated tv advertising before that it was a few newspaper conglomerates throughout the throughout the americas advertising's always not always been a richest three horse race so I can't say, hey, you're doing all the advertising. Then the flip side is why I try to compare this with Microsoft. So Microsoft got taken to court because it bundled IE together with uh, Windows and was trying to prevent other browsers and other systems from being on there. Okay, cool. So I looked at, okay, what level of control does Google have over its own systems? Yes, on its own search systems, which it's, it has the best search system. You can go try a DuckDuckGo. You can go try... A, I think AltaVista is still around. I don't know. You can try the, you can try a Bing search. They suck. But for even for those things, how much control would you say that Google has over its own system? It controls Chrome. It does not even control Android anymore because Samsung is basically taking over all of its control of Android. Doesn't make its own hardware, and the hardware that it does make rather is not that popular in comparison to the, the vast market share that belongs to Android. Even on mobile, Android's not the only one because iOS is its biggest competitor there. So I, I don't think you can make the claim. Well, okay. The, 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 when I was reading this article, they do refer to how the Europeans have been more strict than the US, but even the Europeans have just been finding Google. Exactly. And, and I, I also and, looked at Alphabet's earnings. European sales are going up still. Yeah, I mean, for these guys, it's just a slap on the wrist, right? But you can't deny that there have been, if you will, um, what's the word, scuttles, skirmishes 
you know, it kind of invaded into Yelp territory. It started going into, now it has like the jobs thing where you can go search a job and it'll start showing you, you can filter by all these things. Like anything that involves search mm-hmm. that before, in the earlier days of Google, probably didn't have the bandwidth to, 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 to explore, right? Is now starting to do it, right? Now you can find flights there. You don't need to go to Expedia um, or Kayak. Now, whether the experience is better or not, that's mm-hmm. besides the point. I'll, uh, you know, I'm just bringing up that you can't deny that Google has been slowly encroaching in some of these other services where you usually go to Google search and then go to like a Yelp, go to like an Expedia, right? Sometimes you're like, oh, I want to travel. Where can I travel? And then you get all these sites and then you go there, right? Or you go directly to those sites. But now, instead of ever going to those sites, you just go to Google and it'll provide you a lot of this information, right? But that's, um, and- that's base information. But even on, for example, Google Flights, it says, gives you the ability to book through trip, it book through kayak. It just looks for the cheapest price that all of these, that all of these aggregators give it. Sure. And it says you can book through one of these. Sure. I, I don't think uh, Google is in the business of actually taking over that part. Mm-hmm. But for example, if you're not going to those, to those websites, well, okay. I, I, Those websites that, aren't that, the Google that, ads platform to begin with. So that, if the websites make money off of the transactions or, and they're advertising and the advertising platform they use is probably Google's anyways. So what, what is it being anti-competitive against? Well, doesn't the traffic to these sites matter? Isn't that what, what, no, it's just some the argument. argument. But there's, so these travel well, sites make the majority of their money off of Ultimately, it's the transactions and they get a cut of the purchasing fee. Google just shortcuts you to the transaction. So, oh, okay. I mean, not to say it doesn't happen, but so right now I'm just looking up flights from Vancouver to Brussels. There's actually flights in July. Look at that. So it's not just like my uh, SJC to Vegas flight. That's $4,000 right now. No, it's about a thousand sixteen. So book with go to gate book with flight network book right. with condor i'm i'm trying to oh okay book with expedia which is the more expensive one no surprise gives you but, all the uh, options no it does it does i don't think it prohibits people from uh, i don't think it hides that but the fact that it can so then from, from your perspective, do you think these companies like, you know, Yelp has, has filed these complaints? There's been a bunch of companies that have filed the complaints against Google for this, right? So what do you think then, what do you think is the, the company's arguments? Why are they then making a big deal about this? What is their concern? Yelp is complaining that Google is competing directly with it and that it's search, uh, what's it called? And that its own search is better. It could just but, hide it. But... Uh, what was I about to say though, but uh, there's the other part, which is yes, Google, Google maps and Google businesses is better indexed, but for the longest time it had terrible reviews and no one trusted those reviews. Right. Yelp still had better reviews. So Yelp is more complaining. Google is getting into this space, but I think the crux of this is it's like, Oh, they're getting into space. Yes. It's called a search engine. It's like, that is the very basis of a search aggregator. Its job is to crawl the entire web, aggregate information, and Google has other services that also can be crawled, but it does not, uh, what's it called? Does it promote some of those services? Yes. But is it an unfair advantage to the advertising space, which I say, because like Yelp and all these, they, I don't think the government gives a darn about Yelp and these other companies that Google's directly competing against. It's more about the government's looking at the big money, so advertising money. Does it have a dominant control over its advertising platform? Does it do anti-competitive things on that platform? And the answer of that one is, I, I think it's really hard to make that case for Google. So related to this on uh, corporate takeover and antitrust, we have two related stories just to briefly mention that. One, Uber has proposed to, to buy Grubhub. Um, there's a lot of fear in that. And then Facebook, I think it was just Friday, if not Saturday, that Facebook's, uh, Giphy, uh, acquisition. Um, they're saying it could have big implications for iMessage and Twitter. Yeah. That looked like a deal for Facebook. Giphy raised 150 million and was sold for 400. 
Oh, okay. Interesting. I, I, like I told you before, I didn't actually know Giphy was a company or a product. I thought it was just a random Facebook feature. Lo and behold, you realize that all the Giphy's in the, on the, across the web and, and mobile are actually powered by this one service. This, Wait, really? Yeah, the Giphy API is provi uh, provides it for, yeah, like Pinterest. Now, so iMessage, MailChimp, Signal, um, Slack, Snapchat, Telegram, TikTok, Tinder, Trello, Twitter. Wow. Wait, well, okay, was, they, oh, Trello, okay. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, so here it also says Twitter relies on like other things. But so, it's, it takes up, it's, it seems to take up a significant part of the market. Yeah. To me, this acquisition just looks like another data collection play for Facebook. But back on the topic of monopolies and trust busting, I think that's probably a big enough topic that we can have our own episode on it. So I think we can just table that for now and move on to our last story. We'll, we'll, we'll table that for then. Then the last part is that Twitter, 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 the Twitter blog, they, they announced on uh, the 12th, so this week, that they're allowing employees to move to permanently work from home. My two cents quickly is that Twitter is one of the smaller companies It employs 5,000 folks. And I mean, they were kind of saying that they were already designed to be distributed, but I'm thinking that the smaller big tech companies, like I'm thinking along the lines of like Pinterest, maybe Slack will probably be the ones that can more easily embrace working from home versus Google has a complex, right? They have a campus. Facebook has a campus. Yep. I just can't see them overnight saying, all right, we're going to let majority of people work from home permanently. That's, that's just such a departure from, from where they are. I, all right. So to wrap up news of the week. So you don't think the U S government is really going to do much of anything in this antitrust suit that they've, uh, they're, they're planning on filing against Google. I mean, if they file it, I, I would be surprised if they follow it. If they follow it, I don't think they're winning. Facebook's Giphy acquisition. Do you think that's going to go through? It did already, I believe. Oh, it did. It's only you mean okay. you mean Uber's Grubhub acquisition? Well, All right, there you go. Yes, done. Uber. I think All that right. will purely depend on Grubhub. Hmm. And for this one, for this one, it's what it's number two and three unprofitable. Sorry, of the three big unprofitable businesses of DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub, this is number two and three adding each other's debt together to become the most unprofitable. Interesting. All right, work from home. Do you think this is going to set a trend? For, I don't think the big, like I said, I don't think the big ones will do it right now, but I think the small ones like Twitter that have like 5,000, maybe less than 10,000 employees may just say, you know what, you can work from home. So what do you think? Do you think this is going to set a trend for more companies start starting to embrace work from home, at least in tech? No, not, not the, not the majors. Yeah. At most right. I could see Microsoft and Microsoft always sticks everyone in an office isolated anyways. So you might as well be working from home. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So we move to the, our main topic, Michael. Yes. All right. So our main topic for today, Peloton. I made a bit of a timeline for Peloton in terms of its, in terms of its kind of key moments. John, you want to go over some of the key events of Peloton? Yeah. So timeline. It, how'd you get to 2011? Because for my research, it looked like everything was 2012. That was 2011 is when the CEO... John Foley was at was talking to someone, one of the other founders, maybe Tom, at uh, at their dinner table, and he said, "Hey, what about this idea?" Mm, interesting. Yeah, because even on their own story, it says uh, on their website, uh, it says doesn't talk. All right, so 2011, they probably started thinking of the idea. The, the The little background to that is that you know they were enrolled. I don't, I'm not sure. I think the key thing to point out, they were, they were in New York. Yes, they are. It is a company that's based in New York. Um, I think he was also a VP at Barnes and Nobles. Yes. Because later the president, uh, the person that became president in 2017 was the former CEO of Barnes and Noble. But anyways, the, the background to this is that, you know, they were pretty uh, fit guys and then they were going to all these spin classes, but you know, with their really busy schedules, they'd have to like book ahead. I think they were actually, I think it might've been SoulCycle that they were mm -hmm. using, but it just, it just didn't work for them. It was like, why can't I just have this experience at home? And that became their, their, their North Star, if you will. So 2012, they got 400K in seed, um, seed funding. 
2013, they had a successful campaign, a Kickstarter campaign. So they sold 200 bikes and with a goal of 250K. Is that their Kickstarter campaign details? Yeah, that was their Kickstarter campaign, which is the first time that I heard of them. And then in 2014, their Peloton bikes hit the market. In 2014, 2015, the stores started popping up. Sales started and then they got $105 million in additional funding. By 2016, they achieved 60 million in annual revenue. And until this point, they were still in the, only in the States. So 2018, they expanded to Canada and UK. They acquired uh, Neurotic Media, a music distributor. And then 2019, they achieved 7.3% market share of the exercise equipment and revenue doubled to 950 million. And then they went public in September 26, raising 1 billion. And before they raised and went public, I think what I've been reading is that they also raised almost a billion dollars in VC funding. And then 2020, so we have more stuff in 2020, but the other big thing in 2020 was that their competitor Flywheel uh, agreed to cease services at the end of February as it settled over a patent lawsuit. And uh, Peloton was offering Flywheel customers in exchange for a Peloton for their Flywheels. I believe 2020 was also the year that infamous Super Bowl commercial came out, right? I think that might have been earlier, actually. Was that, was that Christmas season? So they're controversial. Yeah, they're marketing. Uh, 2018? No. Also, what was... The gift I, that, I, I, don't that, underst- I think it was just bad. I don't understand what was controversial about it. You're right, you're right. So it's September... Tw- uh, not September. November 2019, they released a new holiday commercial, The Gift That Gives Back. So they had an ad where a wife received a Peloton bike for Christmas from her husband and she begins recording a video diary of herself using the bike. And a year later, she proclaims that she didn't realize how much this would change me. And in late November, the commercial began to receive a lot of criticism from viewers who claimed that its plot implied that the woman's husband was unsatisfied with her physical appearance. Go figure. Peloton I mean, defended the ad. I mean, it was intended literally... To- it's literally the running joke that people have had for years and years and years, which is the worst gift to ever give your spouse is exercise equipment. A little tone deaf there. I think that's really the one big controversy that they've had. I don't think they've had. Okay, they have a lawsuit too. So. Yeah, they have a few lawsuits. They also shut off Flywheel, which we talked about, I believe, back in February, right. which they had a lawsuit against Flywheel. They beat them in court for patent infringement, and then they just bricked every single flywheel at home uh, stationary bike. Oh, Lord. Yeah. The, the other interesting thing about, uh, about Peloton that I found was, it, it reminded me of Twitch, actually, where if you think about it, most companies okay. have two, one, two, three co-founders. Most. I know there's... All right, these guys have like eight. <laughs> these guys have five co-founders. Uh, and Twitch was like that because I think they had four or five co-founders that were just like friends who, who decided to make it happen. But what's uh, the other really interesting thing is they were all there until this year. So the co-founders are John Foley, who's the CEO of Graham Stanton, who left in f- his role in February, more March, and he's been an advisor. But all I could find was that he was a senior vice president, maybe for business intelligence. Then I'm going to butcher this name. He's Sao Kushi who's a chief legal officer, Tom Cortez, who's the chief operating officer slash head of product development, and Young Feng, who's a CTO slash CIO. So it's interesting to see this many co-founders still involved this many years in. I mean, one just recently left, but it looks like they were all able to maintain a working relationship, if you will, right? There's always- Do you think you know, founding a company with such a big team of friends would actually motivate you to keep the company running longer? Or it would- did, because yeah, certainly be this, is, that, right? this is certainly not the norm. Usually it's like two, three people tops. Right. Well, sometimes also there could be like inter, even if the group is okay, right? There could be two individuals or a couple individuals within the group that start not seeing eye to eye and leaving early, right? It's usually typical, like two, three years, you'll see someone leave, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's either there's in the, in the background, some controversy. You hear this a lot when, if you listen to like um, uh, how I built this right? Where you hear, sometimes they get along, sometimes they fight, sometimes it becomes a lot of animosity, sometimes they fix it after the fact, right? But here it seems like they all have a working relationship and obviously most of them are still with the company um, after it's gone public, right? And still there, at least yep. as of recording. Maybe tomorrow somebody announces they're leaving, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the key people. And then, as I mentioned, they, the, the former 
the former um, CEO of Barnes and Noble, uh, William Lynch Jr. He joined in January 2017 to become company president. Um, but yeah, uh, the, so why are we covering Peloton? Good question. So uh, why are we covering Peloton? Well, it's a stay-at-home stock that's been very, very successful during the time that people have been uh, locked in or, or during this lockdown period. So I believe the stock has doubled since the market shroff of around mid-March. And John, do you have the actual numbers for how much that stock went up? I do. It, it, I don't know. <clears throat> it went from, so on March 13th, when it completely dropped, it was $19.37. And as of May 14th, it's uh, Friday, it's $48.42. Yeah, that's, that's quite impressive. So of course, this is one of those stay-at-home stocks. So one of the only exercise stay-at-home stocks for sure, but definitely they've seen a lot more subscriptions and a lot more purchases of Peloton during the time where everyone's at home and can't go to a physical gym. Right. But now, Johnny, main question for me, why in the wide world of technology is Peloton successful? So a couple of things. So there's people, I don't mean to say that you and I have bought a Peloton, but there's people like you and I who are fortunate enough to still have our jobs mm -hmm. and are paid, if you will, a decent salary, more than a decent salary, I should say. And now that everybody's working from home, right, a lot of people need to be able to keep their 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 fitness going, right? And I mean, here at least in Vancouver, British Columbia, because we didn't officially close close, they just encouraged people to stay home. People are still able to go out and and walk to go out and fit like whenever i go take a walk with with a buddy of mine i'll go by some of the parks and i'll see people out there stretching running around uh in different groups like with their friends and stuff so um or we have you know a seawall so but most people don't have that opportunity and most people might be in an apartment and they're not able to go out and get air so if you have disposable income why wouldn't you invest in this and take care of your health so okay, before Johnny, this, that's, before this. But, but hold on, but yes, uh, that there's, there's my question, which is, I can see why it's successful now, but it was successful before. It reached right. hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue before any, a single person uh, caught coronavirus. Right. So, I mean, it's a, it's a spin bike, Johnny, with a freaking tablet attached to it that streams some videos. If we were right. to break it down to space components, they literally did all the things that they tell you not to do in entrepreneur school, if you will, which How is so? they build their own bike. They build their own tablet system, that TV system, the whole speaker system that's fully manufactured. And they record their own content. So they have some wickedly high st uh, upfront startup costs. I mean, the way you're usually taught, of course, in thinking of entrepreneur is like, okay, can we drop ship the, this bike, partner with someone who's already making bikes, slap our logo on it, and maybe uh, get, uh, maybe we'll be the app. We'll be an app on the tablet that you, and we'll give you an attachment. You attach your own tablet or your phone to your own exercise bike, and we'll get some content licensing. That's, you know, that's how the, the cheapo way of doing Peloton would be. How was Peloton successful? At least your opinion. I have some thoughts on it, but how was it successful? I see. I think... It's a quality bike, I'll give it that. What I'm starting to see here is, and it's not just in this area, but in different areas, you're starting to see that there's companies coming in with a very, very specific focus specific niche and becoming very, very successful at it, right? Peloton is a great example of it, right? What did they start with? They started with bikes. It wasn't until, what is it, 2018, five, six years until, six years since their founding and having a product out there for a few years that they released their second product, which is a treadmill, which honestly, I've never even really heard about, but. I don't think it's nearly as popular. No, I don't think so. I think you, in order to understand this, you'd have to go back and understand how companies like SoulCycle were also became successful, right? Ah, uh-huh, mm -hmm. keep going. So 
I don't do swim classes. I don't know if you do. <laughs> no, nope. just I don't do cardio. Right, of course. So with spin classes, spin classes became really popular, right? You saw that in the rise of SoulCycle, but that required you to, uh, you know, book a class, go to the class, and what is it? It's a social. I think it's a social element, right? Why, like, why else, like you could go bike at home or you could go bike outside, right? Um, maybe probably not in New York City where you want, but because I think these companies <laughs> that's a bit dangerous. <laughs> they all came out of New York, which yeah, I think is a which I think is interesting thing. Because so, I think so, SoulCycle, I'll, right? Hold on, hold yes, on. Also SoulCycle, came out of New York. SoulCycle, ClassPass, mm -hmm. and Peloton. There might be others I'm, I'm forgetting, but that's really interesting. They all come There's out no of- There's no great outdoors in New York. You don't want to be exercising in Central Park. You might step on a syringe. So there's a lot more fitness classes, but, but I have a thought on this, which is I don't think Peloton became successful. I think SoulCycle brought back spin class and Peloton rode that wave. So I, I, I watched, I, I listened to the, the, so SoulCycle was founded in 2006 and I listened to the interview on uh, how I made the, or how I built this with the two SoulCycle founders. And they were saying how, when they were founded, spin had died down. Now, spin class has been around for decades. They've been around since the 80s. They've been around longer. I mean, it's just a stationary bike. Those have been around forever. There are videos of Bruce Lee back in the 60s on an Aerodyne bike. Right. But really, I think SoulCycle, through its cult of, you know, noon on Monday, through its, its real, it's, it's that is community that they formed. Noon oh, on Monday is this, noon on Monday is a SoulCycle phrase that uh, I've, found when I was doing my research. It's noon on Monday is just like a class. It's like you go noon on Monday. I and I think that resurrected spin classes in America at the very least and made it super popular. In fact, I looked up, so like for example, two years ago, SoulCycle had some 300,000 unique riders and some 25,000 classes uh, over, over a year. Question to you though is why did, why did it make it successful? What do you mean? You said, you, because you said yes. it was there before, right? What is it that they brought to the table that made it Well, they, they brought that communal sense. They brought that energy. I was listening to, I, I've talked to some of my friends who did SoulCycle and they talk about it's just that community, that certain type of coaching style. SoulCycle is one part exercise, one part cult, one part community, uh, one part social gathering. It brought all of that together and really made spin classes really, really a popular game. Now, the other key thing with SoulCycle, $34 a class. Compared to $34 a class, a $3,000 bike is cheap. Well, over the long run, it's cheap. It's yes. a lot of cost. But if you, if you want to do SoulCycle every single day, they don't have monthly memberships. If you want to do SoulCycle every single day, that's $1,000 a month. Right. And a flywheel is $400 a month. Right. So I think wow. what Peloton came in with was it made a quality bike. It rode a little bit of this wave that SoulCycle kind of resurrected. And it was the obvious product, if you will, done well. I think they executed very well. But I think it was the obvious product to come with this wave. And I think that's why, that's one of the reasons why it became very successful. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking, um, as you were saying earlier, that SoulCycle, part of the allure and attraction of SoulCycle was this community, this cult-like following, if you will. And it reminds me of, of what I've heard of CrossFit, right? CrossFit has that same mentality. So would you say that, you know, the because SoulCycle was founded in 2006, right? So maybe from 2005, 2006, and when was... Uh, I have to do a bit of like just... CrossFit was earlier, but before CrossFit, there was also Taibo. Do you remember like Taibo in the nineties and then calisthenics in general with, with uh, Richard Simmons, I believe was the really T funny T A I B O or Taibo. Oh, I don't remember what it's called. T A E B O. Gotcha. I, yeah. Taibo is a there total was... body fitness system that incorporates martial arts techniques. It was popular in the 1990s. Yes. And then CrossFit yeah, there came in the 2000. Different, there are a bunch of different fitness crazes that have happened ever since basically Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Bruce Lee and actors started taking off their shirts. Once that happened, fitness really grew in the country. And right. there were, I think there's just been waves every decade 
there's this new uh, high community, almost cult-like exercise. And I think right now we have spin, we have a few, we have spin, we have CrossFit. Uh, probably those are the two that come to my mind the most. I think there's di different uh, demographics involved, right? Where each of them has a different uh, interest, right? Mm -hmm. So because there's been, I can't say like it was just in the 2000s that, you know, um, at home DVD exercises came, became popular, right? Like there was VHS before, there was all these things before. But I think where our part comes in is that you're seeing this with emergence of tech, right? So you already have people really being attracted to that. Hey, I want to be, I want to have an ex, I want to exercise, I want to be fit, and I want to lead a healthy lifestyle. But I also seek community of folks that can challenge me and grow me, right? The, the point is we can't, analyze why Peloton is successful without looking back at what came before it, right? SoulCycle. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where I wouldn't say Peloton will end up disrupting SoulCycle, right? Even though it is an evolution of it, because they're two different. Feel, yeah, I was going to say, I no feel way. it's different. Right? Because you can't replicate the community of SoulCycle and Peloton. You're not actually in a real class no. with any real people. No one's doing it with you. No, but you still have that um what you want to call you still have that social aspect right you have a leaderboard um, basically you, you, you have, have a leaderboard usernames yes a lot of people um from what i've heard about it a lot of people like to listen into the, the live streaming so the model mm -hmm. let's just quickly explain the model which is so they have actually two studios at least on wikipedia maybe you said there's three now so the studio is open to the public with daily walking classes that don't require payment which kind of interesting but the classes are recorded daily and streamed live from the audio Right. But then once they're recorded, they're there for 24 seven access. Right. So you get the both the best of both worlds, if you will. Right. So you can wake up and, and go attend a class. Right. And because now you're not you're no longer restricted to a physical place. Anybody can go attend a class. Right. So instead of like, right, having but this, like whatever, the 20 studio people, model is definitely is certainly not where they're making their money. I mean, that's that's not their, no. their key. Right. Well, here they're saying the daily walking style classes that they don't require payment. So that's like their free trial of, hey, you can get a taste of this, I think. When it's the like product free is free, you are the product. Well, I mean, you still have to pay for the bike to actually do it. No, no, no. I, I mean, you're, you're in the crowd now. You make the, the class look uh, more exciting. Uh, oh, you are the community now. Got you. Um, no, yeah, that would, that would make sense. That would make sense. Back to, uh, back to the question, Johnny, which is, they're a bike, they're a tablet, they're a video series. Why... What, why hasn't someone, why don't they have more competitors is the first thing. Look at it this way. SoulCycle tapped into something, right? They tapped into a thing where you could pay and you could go attend a class and you could be part of a group. But then there was probably a group of people and, you know, the, the founders, obviously the founder of, uh, of Peloton was one of them, where that schedule just didn't work with his busy schedule. And he just wasn't able to attend the classes. Probably he ended up signing up and then canceling them and said, that has to be a better way. Why can't I do this from wherever I am? Why am I restricted by time and location, right? And so what I'm saying is there's probably a group within SoulCycle, right, that were willing to pay because there is an upfront cost associated with getting a Peloton bike right to, for the convenience there's always a group that's willing to pay for convenience right and i think what Peloton is a group was that went would be interested in something like soul cycle but wouldn't actually go to uh, to right. a class right but building on what soul cycle has had right because that's probably where you start off with as your potential initial customers you i are i would say that peloton went up market right because they went up for convenience they went for a big thing is convenience and you can do this anywhere you wanted, right? It was recorded for you. It's in the comfort of your home and you have every, all, all the advantage of either having that social aspect to it still with the leaderboard and the live stream classes, which apparently a lot of people like doing, or you could have the, Hey, I just want to have my own run and pick my own exercise. And on top of that, they offer like yoga. They offer a bunch of other courses. Yeah. So they have cycling, they have running, they have yoga, they have meditation. So, they're kind of, they're not just sticking to what they started with, but they're slowly expanding, right? So this is why I say, again, they're not disrupting what SoulCycle has had because, well, right now SoulCycle fact, has no I, customers. I mean, I, but they're building I, mean, I would say it. that if they try to compete with SoulCycle, they'll get their lunch eaten. 
Yes. Because SoulCycle has much lower upfront costs and SoulCycle franchises and trains as trainers where I believe Peloton only has like 10 very now Peloton famous trainers. Right. But I think there's another key about that. Why I don't think they have so many, why, why competitors can't just spring up. They, they're called, people call them the Apple or the Amazon of spin bikes. And I think a part of that is their vertical ownership of everything. They own everything from the manufacturing to the course content, to the culture, to the studio. They own all of that. And thusly, while that is really hard, as I said earlier, it's the antithesis of what they tell you to do when you start a startup because it's so pricey. But having achieved that, you have so much control over the quality, so much control over the lock-in. You build, you've built a moat. You just have to be successful. Once you are, you have a moat. And this is where I think, yes. One is they took the, the Apple route, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is where you can, if you take that route, you have to end up building a premium product, right? Mm -hmm. Because this isn't, this isn't anybody can go, I mean, the bikes are like what, at least uh, two grand, three grand, right? Yes. Um, they're two grand, they're two and a half, and then the total of the shoes, because you have to buy special shoes just to use the bike, and everything comes out to about uh, three grand. Right. I'm just going to the, the family pack just comes with two shoes. Hey, just, just, I believe. you know, you and your partner, man, you and your partner. Uh, but yeah, when you, even when you go to their website, right? So it's all about the experience. It's the experience of working from home, uh, the, you know, the, the bike. So if I say get the bike, they do have a monthly financing too. Yes. Yes, I believe it comes out to be $50 a month. Right. So if I do shop now, yeah, I'm just looking at the Canadian. So the Canadian, the basics package starts at $2,950 or as low as $76 a month at 0% APR and goes all the way up to the family package, which is $3,529, so a $600 difference-ish. And so, or as low as $91 a month. And then, as we already mentioned, on top of that, there is the monthly, um, subscription fee. I think the other part from a business perspective that they've been able to tap on is this rise in subscription uh, businesses, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, they always have some cash coming in. So they, they hit all the right waves at all the right times. Yes. Right. They hit, yes. They hit the wave where people who are looking to not just exercise, but be part of the community, which has always been there before. But now that you have tech coming into it, right? Well, SoulCycle, it was still, if you will, more old school, right? So, hey, we create a space and we'll create that culture and come and exercise with us. And we'll, and have we'll that, do the right? franchise model, which means you lose something in terms of the control over right. everything. The content looks a little bit different. The lighting looks a little bit different. Right. It's, you're not vertical when you do the franchising model. No. But then Peloton came in and said, hey, we're going to take this, but we're going to personalize it so that you can go and have it in your own place. You can have the convenience of it. And of course it's expensive, but you know, as, as we said that they have a financing package to it and we'll continue to give you access to this as well as the social elements by having live streaming uh, options as well. Right. And then they're slowly expanding, right? As we mentioned, like they have the treadmill, they're doing the yoga. So, um, and now wait for the Peloton weight set and see what, and see what they can do in terms of community weightlifting. Anyways, I think there's one more key the Peloton success, Johnny. I looked into their 10Q. Uh, their 10Q. Do you know what their marketing spend was in Q1? It was $150 million in Q1 alone. So I compared that to some other public fitness companies. So Planet Fitness is another public fitness company. Their total marketing spend in Q1 was 15 million. Nautilus, which is, a, which is another fitness equipment maker, they make treadmills, they make a bunch of different things. Uh, your gym probably is full of Nautilus equipment, wherever local gym you go to. They only spent 24 million in marketing Q1. So at 150 million, I, I try to kind of like figure that out, like what a comparable market spend looks like. So I looked at a few things. So the entirety of the Avengers Endgame movie had a 200 million marketing spent. So it in one quarter spends almost as much as Disney's spent on the entirety of marketing Avengers Endgame. And then 
in terms of companies, the closest company I could find that was kind of in the same space was Snap. Snap has 120 million marketing spend every single quarter. Beyond that, we're really getting to major brands. So for example, like beverage companies, Coca-Cola will spend $1.2 billion a single quarter on its, uh, on its marketing spend. And it'll spend, it'll have some time right around $6 billion in marketing every single year. So, but like beyond this level, we're really talking about big companies are just brands only. So right. it's spending a boatload in marketing and 2017 alone. So it, this quarter spent as much money as it spent in marketing in 2017, which is $115 million, but that's still a whole bunch of marketing spent. So I think that is the third key to Peloton success, just how much money has gone into direct advertising and marketing. You know what? You're right. I think when they were, well, like I said, they were here in 2018, but I do remember when I was taking the bus, I think a few months ago, maybe I saw a bus plastered with Peloton written all over it. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're definitely spreading awareness. Yeah. Cause I, I, think... I was trying to find, I was trying to find the, the tipping point. Right. I was right. trying to find that. And it wasn't because at Kickstarter, they only sold 200 bikes. So it wasn't that. They, they made a few stores in 2014 and 2015, but it's like, I was trying to find what was there an event? Was there like a, uh, was there a cosign by some celebrity? And I saw some video where Ellen DeGeneres did say she loves her Peloton, but I was recent. And then they have mm -hmm. these different celebrities on the Peloton, but that was just like social media. I was like, there was no tipping point. There was no event that really just took it off except for, you know, lockdown now. So what, I think that speaks to is just a massive marketing spend over time because there was no one tipping point. There just appears to be a massive marketing spend because I would say this, which is name another exercise bike company. A manufacturer that is. Oh, I, I don't know any. Right. Name actually name I, I, outside of Nautilus name in a exercise equipment manufacturer. The only one I can think of is Bowflex because they did a bunch of infomercials back in the day. That's right. literally the only other fitness equipment manufacturer I can think of off the top of my head. Right. Would, so here's a, here's a question just to expand on that. Would you say that there was this, if you will, pent up demand for something like this for the folks that were willing Again, a key part of this is you have to be able to afford this, right? It's not cheap. Oh, yeah. For those willing and having the space, because even if you can afford it, you need to also have the space, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't anything like this. Well, in the actually, another key part of that is a small, it's a small exercise bike. It's much smaller than even like a weight bench. It's much smaller than a treadmill. It's a fairly small bike that you can fit mm -hmm. into an apartment. I see. So, yeah, again, my question is, because you can spend a whole lot of marketing and not go anywhere because the market just is like, we don't need this, mm -hmm. right? So there has to be both sides to it, right? That there right. was this demand for people who are willing to pay for this convenience of, I want to be able to work out from home, right? but still have that social aspect that SoulCycle provides me that I go out to do, but I don't want to go out to do. I, think, I, think, it's, I think it's this trifecta and we, we've right. covered this which is, so let's, let's, let's summarize. They spend a whole bunch of money on marketing and user acquisition. Yeah. Then once they get, uh, uh, who are they marketing to? They're, they're riding a few waves. They're riding the wave of spin, uh, which was made popular again by SoulCycle, by Orange Theory, by uh, Flywheel, and these other companies that all of a sudden made it super popular again. Because again, SoulCycle today, a year even has more than 300,000 riders. So so basically there was a validated market already that yes. they were entering. Yes. They were building and it upon. marketed and it marketed to those, the type of people who would be interested in that. Right. So SoulCycle showed there's a market. They, and then Peloton comes in, spends a bunch of marketing on that type of consumer. And then once they get you in, they keep you in with one, a high quality, vertically integrated, vertically controlled product. And two, that sense of community that they formed. And have they continued to monetize because of the subscription service? So they also rode the wave of broadband internet becoming much more popular to stream these type of things. Streaming, they're another streaming play in itself. 
And two, of course, as you were mentioning before, the subscription service. This is to make a very bold claim. If there was a single company that represented 2010 to 2020, it is Peloton. Yeah, it, it, it fuses everything that's been going on, right? The social aspect, the fitness aspect, the tech aspect. Um, just, just to shed some, some colors, I watched a, a YouTube video from Inc. And they said, uh, this was in November 2019, they said uh, Peloton had sold nearly 600,000 bikes and treadmills worldwide. They had more than 1 million members with less than 1% of subscribers canceling each month on average. They weren't profitable as of November 2019, but just to follow up those numbers, they uh, Q1, they made $524 million in total revenue. They had 2.6 plus million members as of the end of March, and they've maintained a 94% retention. So whoever they, they get is obviously staying for the most part. And I think just to expand on, well, if we've summarized and we're moving to what we think the future holds, what do you think the future holds for Peloton, Michael? So here's the tricky thing. Exercises tend to be fads. So for example, weight, uh, Olympic training existed before CrossFit. There was spin existed, as we said before, for decades, actually became unpopular in the 2000s before being resurrected. By, or the 90s and the 2000s before being resurrected by my soul cycle. And likewise with Peloton, I feel that it's, it's going to reach a crescendo at some point, but exercise fads come and go. We're not doing P90X much anymore. We're not doing insanity much anymore. And like the only exercise that really stick around is running because we're humans and lifting heavy things and putting them back down again. It's like those are the, the most basics of exercises are the only two that have stood the test of time because they, they, we physically as humans can't possibly move away from them or, or stop uh, enjoying, stop having legs to run or the desire to lift more muscles to lift things up and put them back down again. So I think with Peloton, it, it needs to pivot to a MyFitness or it needs to build a further fitness brand around it such that when the soul cycle and the cycling fad crescendos again, it starts to wane, that it has another type of fitness lifestyle brand to move into. Maybe it needs to do more products. Maybe it needs to acquire Lululemon or merge with Lululemon and go into that kind of more fitness wear or athleisure area. But I, I don't think if it just sticks with, with, with uh, spins classes forever, it will be successful. It will, it will crescendo out. And I would say this, maybe the at-home fitness and exercise, because you are in your own house and because you have invested uh, in, this piece, in this piece of equipment, has a bit longer of a staying power, has a bit more stickiness than your general fad. But exercises do become popular and they do go down. So I think... Ultimately, it has to find something else. Maybe not in a year or two, but three or four or five years, it needs to find something else. It needs to evolve. To, to build on that, I think the fact that it's not a mass market product actually helps it in this category, right? Because if you- How is it not become... a mass market product of a million people? I'm fairly sure there's, that's but, more people than are doing CrossFit. Sure, but look at the- Okay, for example, like a Facebook as a mass market product, right? Something that can get tens of millions to hundreds uh, of millions, so billions of users. To, we're comparing directly to running and weightlifting. Or, and Essentially, sports. right? Exactly. Yes. Like think about the, 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 market, the market share or capacity, if you will, uh, the running. total addressable market of those that run and go to the gym. Yes. Of everyone who can run <laughs> is the total addressable market of running. Johnny, if we could only capture 1% of the market that runs and monetize them, we'd be rich. Listen, listen. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And I, this, is where, this is where I'm just getting at is that because of the, the nature of Peloton's product, only people that can afford it are going to buy it for the most part. Right? I know you don't see people, them coming out with like a Peloton light or a, like a cheaper version of their product at some point? They could, they could, 
But what I'm saying is right now with their strategy, it works, right? They're taking the Apple strategy. Now, of course, Apple has become a mass market, so that may uh, weaken my argument. But if you look at Apple, it's always about the pricing and premium positioning of their, mm -hmm. their product, right? It's an aspirational product. Uh, with Peloton, because of the, the, the people that can afford it are people that are making, I would just say, at least six figures who care about their health, who are taking care of it, and are still looking for that social aspect, right, as we already covered. So I think the fact that, yes, 1.6, 2.6 million people is, is a lot of people, but in the larger space of fitness market, it's a very small niche, right? So, so John, if I can afford this, I can afford the next fad that comes along too. I don't disagree. And so this is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at. I recently listened to uh, Fitbits and James Parker talk, uh, James Park talk on, uh, on uh, how I built this. And I think Fitbit would be a cautionary tale to Peloton, right? Fitbit came out actually in 2006. They became really popular. And for a moment, they were the ones that controlled that market of uh, fitness uh, trackers, if you will, right? And, you know, Apple Watch came in and, and kind of took it away. One of the things I took away from that episode was that Fitbit stay, um, they didn't keep moving forward, right? They didn't realize that their, their, their customers no longer just wanted something to tell them how much they did. They wanted something that wanted to tell them proactively, hey, this is what you should do to take care of your health, right? I don't need somebody to tell me I ran this many miles. Great. Tell me the next thing, right? So they failed to evolve. And this is where I'm agreeing with you. Peloton needs to find a way to evolve into something like, is it with, uh, uh, what's, what did you say? Market, uh, Lululemon market. Lul with a Lululemon or something around that MyFitnessPal, something that brings that still social aspect together while still helping people take care of their health, right? And you're right. Either it goes down market and makes a cheaper bike available to more people or it can remain a more premium. The other advantage of this is that the people that it's targeting are people that have that disposable income that can afford this, right? Which means just as you said, these people are willing to buy the next big thing and Peloton is already there in that space, right? And I'm sure with, I, I don't know if they're doing this or not. I imagine they are with the data they're collecting with the insights they're getting from their customers. They must be able to take advantage of that. And well, build they have a VP of business of intelligence. Well, they did, and now he's an advisor. So, okay. so they are in a prime position to think, what can we do next that will continue to address our customers' needs in a proactive manner, right? Because we already have the people that are willing to pay. How do we continue to take advantage of this, right? Because it'd be one thing if they were a, a more mass market, like, for, I know we talked about this. For, for example, like Uber. Right? <laughs> How many the, the, the concept of Uber, right? Uber's whole thing is we bring the transportation much cheaper, right? Uber, Uber would have a hard time going up market by increasing their prices or trying to, I mean, I know they have their whole it range started of different products. They did, they did start the up market and then went down. But like if Uber started the other way around, it'd have a difficult time going up, right? Peloton, it started at the top. It can remain, it has the great opportunity of remaining at the top and continuing to have this very attractive, customer base from a, from a position of being able to spend money. Mm -hmm. So, but and whether actually, they will or not, question, we'll see. One more question about the future. Is this recession proof? It's cheaper than Ooh. a gym membership overall. Like, yes. uh, like CrossFit is $300 a month at least. And that's a cheap CrossFit gym. Right. So, I mean, this is one of the rare things that if someone loses their job, but has this and are at home, they're, they're, they're literally are getting rid of all of their other gym memberships, but keeping this. That's true. And what is it like? You said 39 bucks. So you yes. could probably cancel a couple, like you could probably cancel like a Spotify, cancel like a Netflix, a couple subscriptions and you'd, you'd, you'd be, you'd be able to just pay for this one. Or even if you didn't have the videos, you still have a fitness bike. Yes, that's true too. At so, bare minimum, it is still a fitness bike. I think my answer is it depends on how deep of a recession we're, we're seeing, right? Mm -hmm. If, if the, the, the folks that are, if you will, the typical tech workers and to a certain extent Wall Street folks and those 
making decent money aren't too heavily impacted by this, then yes, whoever already has it is going to have it. And whoever right now with the lockdown, whoever wants to have it, I mean, right now I'm pretty sure it's like, it's, uh, it's hard to get. And they, um, they're probably what you call, they probably have a lot of demand right now, right? So whoever wants to have it either has already ordered it or is in the midst of ordering it. Um, Outside of cars, I'm trying to think if there was a single thing in my childhood household that cost three thousand uh, dollars. I don't think I I don't have anything that cost three thousand dollars. We had a piano. Did it cost you? That was one thousand dollars. Okay, I was gonna say that must be a really nice piano. I go for three thousand. Grand pianos are more than three thousand, but no, I, I just had a I regular believe, standing piano. I believe. I believe that. Once you start looking into enough products, you start to become okay with the fact that there's probably products out there that cost a whole lot more money than they should that you would be surprised about, but it happens. No, this is true. It's just, this is like, if I, if I imagine plopping a Peloton to my childhood home, that would easily be the most expensive purchase uh, outside of cars and houses and of health and all that kind of stuff right. that, uh, that would exist in that childhood home. Yes, this is why it has a very specific customer group that it targets, just by the nature of its price. Mm-hmm. So, but okay, but let me ask a question before we get to the rich tech, poor tech part of this. You're gonna buy a Peloton, Johnny? I will not buy a Peloton. I was gonna say you're you're in the market. You're you work in tech. You I have, have I, I take some of the yep. boxes. I take some of the boxes. Yep. yep. You you do the fitness. Yes. It's like for me, the communal aspect and the $3,000, uh, the $3,000 is a big, actually, no, the communal aspect is something that's just not a selling point to me. And the $3,000 is a, oh, heck no. Give me some weights. You know how many weights I can buy for $3,000? Michael, mm-hmm. you can have the money to buy the weights, but if Amazon cannot fulfill them, you're stuck. <laughs> no, the, the bigger problem is the fact that it will go through the floor of my apartment. Yeah, there's that too. There's that too. Yeah, no. So no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. At this stage, I wouldn't get a Peloton. Um, but I, I do understand why people are obviously. So, and like I said, right, Vancouver has never closed officially. So, you know, when it's not raining like it is right now, you can still go out and take a run. But yes, but Johnny, don't you want to? Don't you want to push your limits and be a part of a community Look, seeking for listen. better? Whatever it is they're seeking. If, well, we'll see. If, if uh, you know, for example, if I work for Twitter and, and now I was like, okay, I can permanently work from home, then I think I would invest in, in uh, well, I invest in several things more in my office. So my office is pretty much set up for remote work, but I'd probably then seriously consider getting a Peloton, right? Um, in the case that if the gyms were continuing to be closing for, not the long haul. Uh, let me, so here, let me ask a question: in, Is the is the it, Peloton a part of our future remote work company starter kit? You know what? That could be an interesting angle, right? For smaller, well, okay. There's a challenge. If you're a smaller company, it's really hard for you to afford three thousand dollars per. Employee. Not really. Three thousand dollars is your desk setup. For for like, if you were like twenty people, compute. Oh well, computer already is one to two thousand dollars. Okay, but like a computer you work on and that's how you, you know. Depends, generate. how many people, how much productivity can you bring in by fishing people into this Peloton? You know, I, I, do, I do like that as an idea, right? You can provide that as a perk for your remote employees, right? Maybe, by the by, the total maybe, stipend for setting up their desks in the future remote work company that I've been running tally, been going through is about $5,000 now. Wait, is that with the bike or without the bike? With the bike. Oh, see, that's not bad. For business spend five thousand dollars on a new employee to come in to get onboarded. So we're giving them two thousand for their setup and then three grand for the bike. Yes. I see. And if they leave within a year, they lose the bike or they have to pay back the bike. Oh, that's not a bad. That's not a bad deal. Especially if you're working remotely and you don't have that. Um, it'd be, what would be interesting is to see what other folks are, what other companies are. That's that's the interesting thing. So for for a remote company 
Yes, you could offer them Peloton, right? But then, or Peloton Lite, if they ever get to it. But then what other alternative could you offer them for working out from home that has that capability? Nothing. Is there really nothing else in the market? There's nothing else. That's why I said these guys are the, the perfect company right now. There's nothing else. All right. So final question for Peloton, Johnny. Is it rich tech or poor tech? Oh, I think it's rich tech. Why? The price point? Poor people can't afford it. That's not They're... what rich tech, poor tech means. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, does it net? Is it, is it net? Uh, what's it called? Is it a net wealth creator or is it a net, uh, is it a net wealth loss for humanity? Okay. Because we classified Uber as poor tech. Yes. I, uh, I still think it's rich tech. So I agree with you on thinking it's rich tech because fitness is rich tech historically. So it's going back to our model. Let's look at the historical things that this technology replaces and see, was it a realm of uh, aristocracy and, and wealth or was it a realm of, la of manual labor or, or lower uh, socioeconomic groups historically? So this is fitness. Fitness has always been a luxury. Going back to, going back to fencing, and wrestling and fox hunting, which I'm sure didn't all happen at the same time in Vogue, but those are some other fitness fads over the years. And it's right. always been a luxury. You have to have time for fitness. You have to have some expenditure of money for fitness. There's always been equipment costs, whether that equipment is a Peloton bike or a horse. Further with this, they're not a equipment, so they're not a pure equipment company, which is just, hey, put humans to work to manufacture, uh, which would, which I believe is the poor tech aspect of it. They are a brand. They're building a vertical brand around it, which is media and, uh, and marketing. So those are also areas of, of rich tech. One more thing with this, which is this is not a wealth generating product. And what I mean by that is productivity tools like Microsoft, that's wealth generating. This one, because there's no franchising model, Peloton will not make uh, will not make millionaires out of it. Or rather, it would not make more millionaires than the yes, ones. Yes, it will not made. make more millionaires. Whereas, if you're, I'm not saying uh, gym owners are millionaires, but if you're a franchised model like SoulCycle, you can be a gym owner, and you right. can generate wealth for yourself. Right. So this it's way, it's a it's a wealth greedy company, if you will. So actually, with with all those four elements, Johnny, of this is fitness. This uh, so for the rich tech fitness and media, poor tech manufacturing, and not wealth generating. So let's what's our final verdict? Rich tech, poor tech. I say still on rich tech. I I agree with you. I agree with you. All right, final thing for today. So let's there's a twist for ideas of the week. Let's say, Johnny, on the spot now, because on the, on the spot idea generation is that's how we keep our minds sharp. This like freestyle idea generation. If you had to pitch an idea of the week to Peloton, what would it be? Okay, so having shared what I said about what I heard about the Fitbit story and their lessons, I would go and pitch them that, which is, guys, it's great. You have this service that people can use to stream any course they want. You have the social element. That's great. How can we then turn this and make a more proactive play, right? Mm -hmm. How can we take, I'm sure you're collecting some form of data somewhere, right? Can we take this data and help our members lead healthier lifestyles by being proactively telling them what they should or shouldn't do? And we're helping them take care of their health now. Right? How do we move to a position of utilizing this information and providing them something in a more proactive manner, right? Because I would pitch the elliptical, but it seems like the next obvious choice, like you go to them and be like, hey, have you guys done an elliptical? It's like, yeah, it's on the roadmap, version three, two years from now, give us, you know, give us time. So I would pitch that, right? Well, what are you guys doing with all this information that you can potentially be collecting, right? Obviously in a privacy aware manner. To me, it would make sense to have time and it would make sense to have speed, right? Who's going the fastest in a sustained manner and who's going the furthest, right? And who's going the longest. But if it's- That is, a, that is not actually how spin cycles. 
spin classes work. Well, okay. you, you can tell how much I've ever gone to a spin cycle class. Uh, there. First, you call it a spin cycle class. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a spinner, Michael. Anyway. Uh, okay. But yes, what is, what is this idea outside of we're going to collect some data? What do you mean? I don't even know if they're collecting data. I'm just thinking like, what are you doing right now? You're providing a space for people to come and, and use it, right? So because of that, once people are in, they're in, right? So how do you keep them? How do you keep, continue to engage them beyond what you're offering today, right? That's, that's my idea. That's, that's what I would pitch to <laughs> all the time. Your, your idea is that you should have an idea. All right, guys, here's my idea. We have a bunch of data, right? Yes. All right, using that data, let's come up with an idea. And they'll say, genius, Johnny. You're hired immediately as our head of ideation. Unlike other heads of ideation, whose job it is to have ideas, your job will be to tell the others to have ideas. Dude, it works. It works. Uh-huh. <laughs> what, what is your idea of the week? Fitness what tracker. What would you pitch? Fitness tracker. That was just going to be my idea. <laughs> uh, which is speaking about having this, desiring this data, and speaking about how do we get them when they're off the bike, fitness tracker. Mm. Especially since Google is now taking Fitbit off the market and probably soon off of relevance. So fitness tracker. That would make sense. That would make sense. Yes. I was about to say, is that, is that the idea of the idea you had? Yes. Is idea. That is one part of the idea, the idea I had. There you go. With a fitness Excellent. tracker, you're still measuring stuff, right? But then how do you get to that next level? But yes, but you're pitching. But yes, but one of the things is you're, you're going with a pitch to the company. The other thing is you're saying, hey, company, do your job. Hey, listen, this is uh, survival of the fittest, right? If they don't evolve, as we said, they might be out. And spend, so uh, you're, you're going to pitch yourself as a motivational speaker for this company. Exactly. You're going to start off the speaking with, all right, everyone, we need to have some ideas. Dude, I, I will pitch myself as a person that needs to motivate the executive team, right? Because their, their coaches motivate their, their, their customers, uh -huh. clients, their executives need the same thing. All right, then. All right, well, Johnny, future executive motivator, yeah. let's uh, wrap things up with this is another episode of the Silicon Trail. Have a wonderful week and stay safe. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye.